0: Well, I have this morning this lovely jar of homemade peach jam. This is not for you. A Couple of weeks ago, Joan and I went and visited our daughter Sarah and her family in Port Orchard, Washington. And on their property, they have a very productive peach tree. And this year, they harvested over 100 pounds of peaches that they shared with friends and neighbors, and when we arrived in Port Orchard a couple of weeks ago, they still had peaches, and of course, Joan and Sarah and Aubrey and Kate and Nora put up 33 jars of peach jam. So this is a limited edition but it is a wonderful illustration that it is fruit of the tree of God's creation and it is fruit of the labors of God's people. And so this morning as we come to this passage that was read for us in Galatians chapter 5, Paul's writing in Galatians 5, in fact in the entire book of Galatians, is the fruit of his concern for the people in the bodies of Christ in Galatia. He was concerned because he observed them beginning to sort of wander or stray, if you will, from their first love. He was concerned that the lives that they were living were no longer bearing the imprint, the mark, if you will, of the presence of God in their lives because they were beginning to follow what one commentator called the agitators. Those who were seeking to entice them into lives and choices that were different from those of God and God's spirit. And so here in these few verses that we heard this morning, we find Paul's argument, we find Paul's compelling case to live a life that contrasts that of the world. To live a life that bears fruit made possible by the active presence of God, spirit among Christ's body. And so this morning as we give thought to these verses, Let's first think about this idea of being wary, of being aware of the fruit that's being produced by the choices and the foundations upon which we base our lives. What Paul tried to make clear was that the wandering of these people and their ability to make choices that were taking them away from their first love is something that is endemic in the human race over the centuries. Throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New, we, we read that story. And what we read in that story is God's relentless attempt to love us, to care for us, to guide us, to shape us, to form us. God's relentless love continues to show up even in those moments when we may tend to wander. There is a common theme in this passage, and this passage calls us through the voice of Paul to walk by the Spirit. It is a call to what we would call holiness. The fruit of the Spirit described in Paul by Paul in verses 22 and 23 is evidence of a life of holiness, evidence of the presence of the Spirit in us and through us. In our theological tradition, holiness is often linked to the idea of sanctification. Danny Hauerwas and Will Williman, when reviewing the ministry of John Wesley, offer that sanctification is the term used to describe the work of the Spirit to free our lives from sin. A week ago in a meeting, Pastor Brad defined sanctification as the ongoing process by which the Spirit forms us to look, behave, and live more and more like Jesus. We understand in these days in our theological tradition that sanctification is an ongoing, continuing process. So why does holiness matter? Holiness matters as the active presence of God that produces the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit in us. Holiness forms the basis of our visible Christian life. The fruit of the Spirit forms the biblical ethics by which we make decisions, by which we make choices, by which we live out our commitments to Jesus in front of others, both in the community of faith and in the community in which we live, work, and play. In the chronology of the Spirit's work among us, we sometimes talk about salvation and sanctification. The Spirit, through God's prevenient grace, leads us to a place where we choose to confess our sin, where we seek forgiveness and enjoy the freedom of salvation made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which we will celebrate at the end of this service. As the second part of the work of the Spirit in us Sanctification is the forming work of God. It is as if salvation is the work that cares for the past, and sanctification leads us into our future and forms us for whatever lies ahead and whatever is present today. It is the second part of the spiritual journey that Peter referenced when he asked the believers in Ephesus in Acts 19 if they had received the Holy Spirit since they had believed. Sometimes our language sounds like this. Have you been saved by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of your past sin? Have you been filled with the Spirit or sanctified, dedicated to living more and more like Christ? Such living is what we mean by holiness. It is the power of the Holy Spirit's work in us to give us lives we could not have had without the Spirit's work. Think about that for a moment. The life that we live within the kingdom of God, within the guidance of the Spirit, is not a life that we could have on our own. It is a work of God. It is a work of the relentless, loving God who continues to form us and, if necessary, pursue us. It is the God who never gives up on us. Thanks be to God. Our text this morning provides for us both the ethics and the virtues of the Spirit-filled life when it says to us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Remember the reason Paul writes to the Christian communities in Galatia? They were straying and the fruit of their straying was different than the list Paul delivers in these verses. The fruit of the Spirit were the fruit or the evidence of staying in step with the Spirit rather than staying in step with those who had a different agenda. In case you haven't figured it out, there are people around you who sound like and will feel like and act like they are followers of Jesus but they have their own agenda. And they invite you to follow them. The scripture calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm not gonna suggest any names That would be inappropriate. All I'm suggesting is that what Paul is hoping for the people in Galatian churches is that they will become more aware, but most essentially, they will become more focused on the work of the Spirit, which will protect them from wandering away from their first love. These Spirit-directed virtues become Christian ethics when they form the basis for the decisions that we do and will make in life. So let me share three quick takeaways. First, these expressions of spirit facilitated ethics that become spirit guided ethics for us are not about what we do and don't do, rather they are about who we are as persons. I grew up in a season of the church where holiness was defined by what I didn't do. Anybody else wanna testify? Now I would not say that we were necessarily wrong. It's just that holiness became about what we didn't do rather than who we could be. My friend Patrick Allen has been posting on his Facebook page, letters to his younger self. And in a recent one this week, he wrote a letter to his younger self on the subject of holiness. And he wrote these words. It will take a while, but you will come to understand that holiness is not so much about what you do and don't do, but about the kind of person you are and are becoming. It is first about being and then about doing. It is first about being and then about doing. If doing rises out of who the Spirit is shaping us to be, then what we do isn't defined by what we don't do, it's defined by where we are, who we are with, why we are there, how we're giving our lives away, how we're caring for the hurting and the marginalized, for the poor, the widowed, the orphan, for the immigrant. You see, it's about being. Being in such a way that the values we be I know that the grammatically will grate upon those of you who are gram but it makes sense logically. But who we be becomes more and more like Jesus. As Dr. Allen points out, holiness seeks to shape us into people who are filled with the Spirit's gifts. And then those gifts become our guiding ethics and become the basis for deciding what we do, where we do it, and who we do it with. Second observation. This passage about the fruit of the Spirit is for the community of faith. Most often I have heard this preached, and I have preached it, that these are gifts of the Spirit for the individual. But when Paul writes them in this context, he's speaking to communities of faith, concerned about communities of faith wandering away from their first love. And so yes, it does have an individual impact, but it also has a communal opportunity Opportunity and expression. And so it is, friends. I would suggest to us this morning that when the fruits of the Spirit become the communal expression of the forming work of Christ among us, the world notices. And rather than offering critique of the church, it begins to offer awareness and is drawn to the Jesus that is active and shaping us through the Spirit of God. The gifts of the Spirit understood and experienced rightly cannot be fully appreciated from Christ's body You see, sometimes I hear a believer say, well, I don't need the church. A, that's not a biblical position. B, it's a selfish position. C, even though you may feel like you don't need a church, the church needs you. There are things that happen in the work of God that only happen when the community is gathered, physically gathered. And so it is, we are called to be part of Christ's body intentionally. For we are forming one another as acts of God among us. when the ethics of the fruit of the Spirit are practiced within Christ's body, there is an undeniable expression of Jesus to the world. And so it is the fruit of the Spirit becomes the foundation for life, but also becomes the foundation of life for the life of Christ's body. Let me just stop and illustrate that for a moment. If I begin to make decisions according to the biblical ethics of the fruit of the Spirit, it changes preference. Pastor Brad said it this way to us in a meeting this week. See, I'm in a meeting with Pastor Brad every week. Yeah, he he keeps saying good stuff. (laughs) But Pastor Brad said this to us. He said, you can always name your priority, but you can choose a preference. Pardon me, I said it wrong, didn't I? I did it you can always name your preference. And you're welcome to name your preference. But in the spirit, you're free to choose a different priority. You see, preference is usually my preference. But if I'm going to live in the spirit, the question becomes different. It's not, what do I want? The question becomes, what is God's preference? What is God's priority? Newsflash, friends, God's preference and priority might possibly be different than yours. (laughs) And I would say that is more likely than not You see, that was at the heart of Paul's concern for the bodies of Christ in Galatia. They were choosing their preference and their priority was their preference. Life in the Spirit says, I may have my preference, but it's likely I'll have a different priority. District Assembly this past summer was in Pismo Beach, and talking with a pastor of Pismo Beach, he related that for three years, their worship leader would say to the congregation, you can find a church where all they sing are hymns, or you can find a church where all they sing are choruses. But in those churches, you will not find an intergenerational body of Christ. So you can choose to be an intergenerational body of Christ. And did you notice that in that statement, that the priority of the body of Christ is different than the personal preference? And in a conversation, he said to me, we have college students who drive past churches who sing only choruses to be here because they want to be part of an intergenerational community of faith. I happen to believe that intergenerational communities of faith are reflection of the church as God intends it to be. Amen, amen. It's a reflection that we have the opportunity to form and shape and be a part of God's work in one another's lives. Old people, listen to me. You know who you are. I didn't say your name, Tom. Young people need you. They need the witness of your life. They need to see the faithfulness of your life. They need to see the prayerfulness of your life. They need to see you showing up and being present and engaging with them and loving on them and caring for them and praying for them. Young people, you can define yourself however you want to. We old people need you to engage with us, to love on us, to care for us, to show interest in us, to walk with us in our infirmity and in our grief sometimes. And to thus show the love of Christ to us. I see nowhere in scripture where the body of Christ is age defined. (laughs) But there are those who choose preferential desires because they wanna be with those most like them. But I would ask you, what is the priority that God has? And that may be different than my preference. The gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, makes it possible for us to give evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in ways that form our priorities and allow us, inspire us to choose beyond our preferences. It's called holiness. It's part of being a part of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives. Finally, the gifts of the Spirit flourish best in us when they're rooted in the fertile soil of humility. Those last two verses that Tom read for us. Verses 25 and 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. I would make this statement to you because I believe it to be absolutely true. The efficacy of the Spirit to produce the fruits of the Spirit in us is directly correlated to our posture of humility. Directly correlated to our posture of humility. I need the active presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit in my life, forming me, shaping me. And the way that that works best is if I bring the posture of humility and say to God in the Spirit, What is your preference? I will choose your preference, what is it? I will let your preference be my priority over my preference. It is an act of humility to choose the preference and priority of God over your own personal preference. So I ask you the question this morning that Peter asked the people in Ephesus. Have you been filled with the holy spirit since you believed? This morning we're going to receive the sacrament of the bread and the cup. This sacrament brings to us in very in a very pointed way the choice For the choice of Jesus is the way of the Spirit. The sacrament of the bread and the cup is the way of the Spirit. The Spirit of God hovers over the sacrament. And as we receive it, I invite you, if you've not been filled with the Spirit, to say, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And maybe to Paul's point, some of us need to just listen to the Spirit for a moment and in the posture of humility say, Am I where, Spirit, you want me to be? Have I wandered? And so let it be true on this day that you affirm being filled with the Spirit or you say, come Holy Spirit. bear the fruit of the Spirit in my life and let it be so.